You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. You don't know me. My name is Emily. Everyone calls me Gunny. Uh, so <laughs> I... I'm so excited to be speaking to you guys tonight. So before we jump in, I want to pray. Lord, um, I'm humbled to be here again, and I'm just so thankful that you have saved me, and I pray that you would help me speak your word tonight in a manner worthy of you, that we would all learn something from your word because your word never returns void, and there's always something we can learn from it, and I pray, Lord, that you would remove anything that's of me and just speak through me tonight, Lord. Show us your truth. Show us your love. Show us your redeeming power, and show us who you are, and show us who we are, Lord, in your name. Amen. So there was a time a few years ago where I was probably in the most uncomfortable situation of my entire life. And um, this happened at a Christian conference. So a few years ago, I was dating this guy who was working for a Christian organization called Crew. And if you guys have never heard of Crew, it's short for Campus Crusade. And basically, Campus Crusade, they specialize in evangelizing. Evangelizing is just a fancy word for sharing the gospel. They share the gospel to college campuses. They send out missionaries around the world. And their focus is really to get the gospel out to young people. So my boyfriend at the time worked for this organization, this Partly why I liked him. I'm like, you love Jesus, all this stuff. Um, and he asked me to come to this Christian conference with him. And so I was like, sure, I'll go. I mean, it sounded interesting to me, and so I would go. But I only wanted to go for one day because the whole conference, it was over like a four-day weekend. And I didn't want to spend all the money. But I said, I'll go. I'll support you there, and I'll meet your friends. So I had some expectations about how this conference was going to go. I knew there was going to be some worship. Um, I knew there would be teaching. I knew there would be some, like, community time. But there was something else that was going to happen that I wasn't planning on. And had I known this was going to happen, I probably would not have gone, to be honest. So I get there. It's about 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday. And I'm already kind of tired and really anxious because I'm about to meet all my boyfriend's 50 closest friends. And I'm just like in a new place, and if you know me, you know that I don't like to be in new settings with new people and, ex- like, something be expected of me. I like to observe everything first and then kind of slowly incorporate myself into situations. So I was really nervous going in. So the morning started off really well. I got to meet a lot of people. There was worship. There was some teaching. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a good day, right? So then there's this woman who comes up after worship and teaching, and she says, she's trying to hype us up, and she's like, I'm so excited to see so many thousands of young people. It was like at a, you know, pretty big conference. There are a few thousand of us there. She's like, I'm so excited to see so many of you thousand young people wanting to, you know, know the Lord, seek the Lord. And we're like, yeah, we're all cheering and everything. And so she's still hyping us up, and she's like, and you know what? This city needs to know about it. And we're like, yeah, what does that mean? And she's like, and there's no way that all of you guys are going to leave this weekend without this city knowing about it. I'm like, okay, what does she want us to do? And she says, so we're all going to get up. 
we're going to go to these locations and we're going to share the gospel. And I was like, <laughs> wait, we're doing what? Like, I didn't sign up for that. Um, though I was a Christian, though I wanted people to know Jesus, I was not expecting to be put in that uncomfortable circumstance especially in a new place with new people, and um, what kind of Christian would I look like if I said, no thanks, I don't want to do that, you know? So I had to stay. I didn't want to stay, but I had to stay for two reasons. One, because of the shame. I didn't want to, like, leave because I didn't want to share the gospel and hope, you know, potentially change someone's eternity. I had to stay because of the shame I would have felt if I didn't. And also because I paid $14 for a one-day parking permit for the hotel. And I thought, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm not just going to pay $14 and leave an hour later. So I had to stay, but I really didn't want to. And some of you guys might be in seasons of life where you're really uncomfortable, where you, you don't want to stay there, where you've been in a place for a long time. Maybe you've had an uncomfortable experience, or maybe it's just been a really long time of life, and you don't want to be there. So what do we do when we're in places where we don't want to be? What do we do when we're forced to stay somewhere or stay in a season longer than we want to? And what do we do when we might actually be the cause of that season? We're actually going to look at a group of people tonight who went through something very similar that some of you might have gone through or um, are currently going through or maybe will go through in the future. And we're going to see what we can learn from how God speaks to these people and how we can apply that to our lives and ultimately how this whole story takes us back to the gospel. So we're going to be in Jeremiah 29 tonight. We're actually going to start in verse 4. I'm going to read verse 4 all the way through 14 so that we can just get kind of a clear overview picture of this passage. Some of us have heard one of these famous verses before, but we may never have heard about what comes before or after it. So I'm going to read verse 4 through 14, then we're going to take it piece by piece and kind of dive into what God is saying through this. So this is Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. So what's happening here? It keeps talking about exile, people leaving. So let's 
bring it back to verse 4. In verse 4, God is speaking. Who is writing this letter? It's Jeremiah. So in the video, I mentioned Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. Jeremiah wrote this letter specifically to the people of Israel to tell them a little something about what God had to say to them about their time in exile. So they were sent into exile. What does exile mean? Think of being exiled as being sent to a place that you didn't plan on going, to a place that's foreign to you, to a place that you probably don't want to stay in. If someone or something is exiled, they're cast away from their homeland. That's basically what being exiled means. So the Israelites are taken from their homeland, from Jerusalem, all the way to Babylon. I believe it's something like 600 miles away. So they're exiled into Babylon, but they were actually taken captive by the king Nebuchadnezzar. If you can spell his name, you get brownie points. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar. So ne King Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel. They brought them to Babylon. But what's interesting is, so they've been exiled. They've been taken from their homeland, put in this place. But what does God tell them? Something kind of weird. Verse 5, he says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons. Um, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, seek the welfare of the city. What does it sound like he's saying? Just live your life. But they're in this uncomfortable place. They're not in the place where they want to be. They're not in their homeland. And God is saying, I know. I want you to make the most of it. So the first point on your outline, if you guys have your little outlines, the first point on the back is... When we're in those uncomfortable places, places we didn't plan on, we need to bloom where we're planted. We need to bloom where we're planted. I think about it like this. Um, when I was growing up, I played soccer. Some of you guys have heard this before. Um, but I played club soccer from when I was 10 to 15. And there were times where we would go to different sports parks. I went to... Um, a lot of the Chino Hills, Chino area sports park. My club team was in Chino Hills. And so if you know anything about Chino, you know that it just smells bad most of the time, right? It just smells really, really bad because there's a lot of, you know, agriculture. There's fertilizer, a.k.a. poop, manure, you know, like there's a lot of animals and stuff. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and it smells really bad. But you know what happens I just think this concept is weird. Whoever thought that putting, like, cow poop on something would actually make that grow better? Just the thought of putting fertilizer on something, in my mind, wouldn't make sense. But as I think about this analogy, I think sometimes God puts fertilizer on our lives, and we're like, what is this doing here? What, this, this smell, like I, I, can't, I can't stand this. God, you put this obstacle in my life and I don't want it here. You need to just get rid of it. But he's saying, you know what? You can actually make something from this. That I'm putting these things in your life and though they may not make sense, they may not seem comfortable, something will actually grow from this. That fertilizer is meant to be placed on something that is lacking growth so that it can start growing. So when you find yourself in those Places or those times in life where you just are really squirming, you want to get out. Maybe God is telling you, I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to live your life as you would have if you had been in the place where you actually wanted to be. Because in the midst of that unfamiliar, uncomfortable place, God might have something for you that might actually be better than what you had planned. But what's interesting is when we look in verse 8, 
we see that some people are trying to tell the people of Israel something that God actually doesn't want them to hear. In verse 8, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Who are these false prophets? Some of these false prophets, one of them was named Hananiah. And Hananiah was actually, he's mentioned in Jeremiah 28. He was a false prophet who was basically telling the people of Israel as they were in Babylon, you guys are going to get out of here really quick. This is going to be a short exile, just like a little mini exile. Then we're going to go back and we're going to have a great time. We're going to get out of here really soon. I don't know, he may have said like day 10. 10 days, that's enough. We're going to go back. And God is saying, no. That's not my plan. So he's telling the people, don't listen to them. That's why Jeremiah wrote this letter, to tell the people of Israel, don't listen to all these other people who are trying to tell you God's plan for you. You need to listen to my voice. So how I see the application in that is maybe there's some of you who are in a really tough season of life, and there might be people telling you, you're going to get out of it, man, like it's going to be okay, but maybe it's not. Maybe God won't heal you. Maybe he won't heal your mom or your dad or your cousin. I've had people in my life who've been praying for healing for a really long time, and they're Christians. They have faith. Why aren't they being healed? Sometimes God will heal us, but it looks differently from what we think it looks like. If that person, if my loved one has cancer, stage four cancer, and I pray that they are healed, what if God's healing is actually taking them out of this world and bringing them to the ultimate healing in heaven? He still is healing. So sometimes people will tell you things that are counter-cultural, or not counter-cultural, but they are counter-God. They're not what God wants for you, and you have to be able to distinguish those voices because there will be a lot of people who will tell you a lot of things, and if it goes against what this book says, where do they get their information? This is our source for truth. So we have to be able to know what God says. So kind of transitioning, let's look at why they were sent into exile. So <laughs> verse 10 says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Just pause there. 70 years. This exile was actually a punishment for Israel. It wasn't just for fun. God didn't just say, you're just going to go to this place and we're just going to check it out and then you're going to live there for a little bit and then come back. This was actually a punishment. And if you read through the Old Testament, in my quiet time I've been going through, I started with 1 Samuel maybe two months ago, and I just kind of read verse by verse, and I've been going through Second Chronicles now. So it's been interesting, but it's been good. And as I've been going through, I'm reading in First and Second Kings, king after king, it, it, if you ever read First or Second Kings, it describes all the kings, hence the name, kings. Um, but it describes all the kings in their order, and it, it gives a little description of each king. And he'll say something like, this king was evil in the sight of the Lord. He, he didn't take down the high places, which were basically the idol-worshiping stations. But sometimes it says the kings followed in, you know, David's footsteps, basically. Sometimes they were wholeheartedly towards God. But for a, a few hundred years, God was gracious to Israel because he didn't just wipe them off the face of the earth, even though they kept sinning and sinning and sinning. But he said, you know what? There's a... There's a countdown on this. 
Like, I'm not going to let you keep sinning forever. There's going to be a consequence to your sin. So the second point on your outline is this. Sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. When I think about this in my own life, there are times where I think I can just do things, and just because no one else may see them or I don't share it with anybody, you know, maybe you guys have been there too where you think, I got away with it. Like, God hasn't, like, smited me yet, you know? Like, I mean, it just, you think you get away with it. But the thing is, God is so gracious to us that he says, you know what, I'm giving you opportunities to repent. And even though you may ask for forgiveness, sin will always have a consequence. So for some of us, we might be asking, God, why did this breakup happen? Why did this breakup happen? I'm so mad. I wish that, you know, you, I'm in emotional distress. Why did this happen? Some of us might be asking, God, why am I getting into so many fights with my family? God, why am I so anxious and I compare myself with other people so much? And we sort of do this thing where we find ourselves in any, whatever level uh, uncomfort, discomfort, whatever level discomfort we are in life, whether it's 10 or 1, we somehow turn our fingers to God and we say, God, why did you do this to me? And I think he's looking at us most of the time saying, I'm asking why you did this to yourself. So what are the areas in your life where you are the cause, but instead you blame God? When you ask God, why did this breakup happen? You know that it's wrecking me. You know that, you know, they knew all my friends. I see them at church. I see them, whatever. God's saying, why did you even date that person? I didn't know them. You wanted to follow me, but you dated someone who didn't. So what did you think would happen? You weren't honoring me with your relationship, so do you think I'm going to bless that? When we say, God, I'm, why am I getting into so many fights with my family? Why are you bringing these bad relationships to me? He's like, I can ask you the same thing. Why, why do you let anger get the best of you? What do you do when you get angry? Do you go invent or do you go to my word? Do you come to me? When we say, God, why am I so anxious and I compare myself with other people? He's saying, maybe you should get off your phone for a little bit. Maybe you should stop being on social media. Maybe you should take time to spend with me instead of going to the things that you know aren't going to help you. So sometimes we find ourselves in places in life that really aren't God's plan for us. And sometimes we think that God brought us there, but he's saying, you sent yourself to Babylon. So with the Israelites, they were sinning for hundreds of years, and God finally said, I've been gracious enough. Your time's up. (laughs) You're going to Babylon. But the cool part is that he says, after 70 years, even though this is a long time, some of you guys might be in seasons of life that are uncomfortable for a really long time. Even though he said 70 years, you know what he says? When 70 years are completed, I will visit you. I will fulfill my promise to you. You know why? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What can we take away from that? If we know that sometimes our sin, not sometimes, always, our sin always has a consequence. Sometimes we're in places in life we don't want to be. Sometimes it is a result of our sin, but sometimes it is actually for our benefit that God is using that place to grow us. Even, it doesn't matter how we got there. God is saying, I know 
the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. And they're actually for your good, not for your evil. They're to give you a future and a hope. So the last point on your outline is this. God never leaves you in the unknown. God never leaves you in the unknown. Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? No matter how far you think you might be from God, <laughs> going to trip, God is always near to you. He's always there even in the midst of your pain, even if you got yourself into a mess, God is saying, I will still be there when you call on me. In verse 12, God says, after 70 years, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. This idea of seeking God with all your heart it reminds me of um, this verse in 1 Corinthians. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, I've been doing a little uh, weekly kind of scripture series where I'm sharing my favorite Bible verses. And one of them is 1 Corinthians 7, 31, maybe 25. I don't know. It's one of those. Um, but it's, it's interesting because Paul is actually going through this chapter. And he's actually talking about how awesome it is to be single. And so it's like, okay, my favorite verse isn't that part, but it comes after that. <laughs> um, so he's talking about how he's like, I wish everyone were like me. I don't have any obligations. I can devote everything to the Lord. But the married man is concerned about his wife. And the married woman is concerned about her husband. And they have worldly cares that the single person doesn't. And he says, if you're engaged, go be married. If you want to be married, go be married. And he says this. I don't say this to put any restraint on you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And that phrase, undivided devotion, has always kind of resonated with me because for a long time in my life, I was not undivided in my devotion to God. There were a lot of years and a lot of seasons where my devotions were divided. And a lot of us can say the same thing. I know that. Even if you've been following Jesus for a while, there are moments where you just weep because you are so sad that you have disobeyed God. And I've been in those places more often than I'd like to admit. Even, even within the last year, you guys, I feel like there have been times in my life where I'm just so sad that I've disobeyed God and I haven't listened to him. But what's interesting is in this passage, I do find hope. Because even when the Israelites were sinning for so long, they find themselves in Babylon, which was a punishment. God is saying, you know what? You sinned and that's why you're here. But I'm still near to you. I'm still here. That God never leaves you in the unknown. He never leaves you to fend for yourself. That he's always there in the midst of your pain. And he's there in the midst of your triumphs. That I love this song by Hillsong. And it's called Song of Ascent. I think it's Highlands. Song of Ascent. Parentheses. Um, it's so good. And one of the lyrics is um, no less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. That God is no less in the shadows than when he is in the highlands. Like, God is there in the mountaintop and he's there in the valley. He's there everywhere in your life, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. 
So to kind of wrap this up, I wanted to share this because everything in the Old Testament, you guys, points to a Savior. Even as I was reading in my quiet time the past few months, like First and Second Kings, I feel this tension. There's this tension of like, okay, these people are sinning, they're killing a lot of people, and they're getting away with it? What? It's like, wait, where's God? Is God silent? Does he not do anything about it? But then you see these, these kings, one of my favorite kings in the Bible. Gosh, I forget his name. I don't even remember his name. It's like Josiah or something. Um, but he was the only king who destroyed all of the high places. If you guys don't know what the high places are, the high places were these places where people would worship idols. So they would worship Baal. They would worship all these other false gods. They would sacrifice their children to these gods. They would prostitute themselves on these hills. And a lot of the times you see all these kings where it says they follow the Lord, but they didn't take down the high places. But what's interesting about this one king, I'll find his name and I'll send it to you guys. Um, <laughs> I don't remember his name. There's so many. But this one king, he was the only one. When he heard these words, the law was hidden for the people for a very long time. It was hidden because they weren't following God. And one day there was a priest who said, I found the scroll. I found it. I found the book of the law. And he read it to the people. And it said the people wept. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They repented because they were so sad that they had disobeyed this word. And when this king heard it, he didn't just stay half in, half out. He didn't say, I'll follow God, but I won't take down the high places. For like two chapters, it describes all the things he tore down. He tore down all the high places. He killed all the priests who were sacrificing to the high places. It was like two chapters of just demolition on everything that was taking away from, from their relationship with God, the covenant that we saw in that video. It was, oh, it was so cool. I was like, yeah, like the whole time. So when I look at how the Old Testament has this tension, there's this tension of following God, not following God. Everything you guys in the Old Testament brings us back to Jesus somehow. So when I look at this passage, I'm like, how does this bring me back to Jesus? Tell me. 